<laughs> cool. Cool. Good morning, everyone. Morning. morning. Um, it's a real exciting time for me to be standing up here and preaching, um, mainly because of what Steph spoke on last week. If some of you weren't here, I'd just give a little lowdown on what he said. He had a bit of a groovy um, title called The Recession Session. And he said, in this in this day and age of the global climate as it, as it is and you know, however it's going down the pan financially, as Christians we've got to be a bit different. We've got to stand on the solid ground that Jesus gives us to stand on rather than something that just crumbles and erodes. And he spoke about how as a church we're not just there to stagnate, we're not just there to survive, we're actually there to move forward in faith and move forward to just to advance for God's kingdom. And I was really stirred. I thought, pretty good sermon from Steph, well done. Um, and I was stirred mainly because I felt God giving me a message today to preach, which comes off the back of that. So I sat there and I thought, oh, my God probably does know what he's doing at the moment. And that, that helped me for this preparation. Um, today I'm speaking on great expectations. That's my title. And I expect great things this morning. We're, we're surrounded in, in a culture, really, where we expect certain things. I've got expectations upon myself, applied by me or applied by family or applied by friends. You might have expectations on yourself or what you want to happen in your life. But I find that in culture now, we tend to sort of lower the bar for expectations. Because you think that if you've got a high bar and you need to jump over it, you might not be able to jump over it. So if you lower the bar, it's easy to jump over. You're not going to get discouraged. So I find that... that me? Okay, I'm not crackling. Okay, so when it comes to the bar of expectations, I find that in this culture we often have quite a low bar because you don't want to get discouraged. So for myself, I mean, even when I was at school, I'd always tell people, I'm not going to do very well. I'm not going to do very well in my grades. It's fine, you know. I downplay it, so if I don't do well, it's fine if I've told everyone I'm not going to do well. But if I do better than I expected, yeah, I've done better. And everyone can say, well done, you didn't expect to get that. Deep down I might have, but I just didn't let people know what was going on. But often in this, often you hear the words, you know, don't get your hopes up. Well, some people really do get their hopes up and they try and get something and they don't get what they wanted and they get the classic, what did you expect? Everyone's always t- talking to people and saying, you know, you don't, don't expect too much stuff. But I'm not here to talk about what I expect out of life, out of, my, out of worldly gain, out of materials, out of money, out of jobs. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about what I expect as a believer, what I expect as a Christian, what I expect as someone that loves Jesus Christ wholeheartedly and what us as a church are to expect from God. So some of you here might think, I don't believe in Jesus, what's this got to do with me? And I hope today you can sit back and enjoy and have an insight into what it is like to be part of God's glorious church, which we call his bride, and how wonderful and exciting it is that we're not just here to sing songs on a Sunday morning, we're here to live for someone that created the universe and that has filled our lives with so much joy that it's, it's just great. It is absolutely fantastic. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Um, while you're turning there, just give you a bit of background to this. We're starting here with John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. And John the Baptist really arrived on the scene earlier in the Gospel. And he's um, a fulfilment of, of God's plan. In the Old Testament, it said there's going to be a forerunner, someone who comes to prepare the way for the Messiah or the Anointed One, who we now know to be Jesus Christ. And it's like... It's like if you're laying new grass down in your back garden, it's like you've got the soil there first, and like someone's there and you've got to pat down all the soil. You've got to make it flat, get rid of all the lumps and bumps, because otherwise you put your grass down and you just looks rubbish. Phil knows, he's a gardener. Do you know this? So you just pat it all down. So it's like John the Baptist comes along, and he's the guy just patting down all the soil. 
He's a guy getting rid of all the bumps and the lumps. He'd make it look smooth so someone else, Jesus, can come lay grass and make it look beautiful. That's what John the Baptist is there to do. And John the Baptist, the way he's doing this is he's baptising people, hence called the Baptist. And um, people are coming to the River Jordan and they're basically, he's plunging people into water and bringing them back up. And it was really an outward representation of what was going on in their heart. He was saying, look guys, you're, you're God's chosen people, you're God's chosen nation, he's given you laws, he's given you statutes, he's told you how to live and you're not living how you should be. Instead, turn back to God, repent of your sin and, have this, and, and just follow him like you should be. So he's repenting, they're repenting and they're getting baptised to show people, look, this is what I believe. I believe in God and I'm going to follow him again. At the same time, John is preaching judgement. This is a massive thing for John. He, he mentions the wheat and the chaff and this was spoken on a few weeks ago. So I'm not going into too much detail. But it's like a farmer who gathers his crops in at harvest. He wants to keep the wheat and get rid of all the bitty rubbish stuff called the chaff. And so what you do is you gather the wheat and you burn the chaff. You, there's this process that you need to do it to gather it all. And it's like Jesus was going to come on along, the Messiah was going to come along, he was going to gather the harvest in, he was going to gather the righteous to himself and destroy the unrighteous. He was going to punish the unrighteous. The people that were not following God, that was what the teaching is. He was saying, look, there's going to be judgment. Quick, guys, if you do not repent, if you do not get baptised, if you do not follow God like you should be, it's going to be too late because this, go- this bloke is coming and when he comes, it's over. That's what John was expecting. So now we pick it up in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when I first read this question, I thought that's a fair enough question to ask. You know, John has been created for a purpose. His purpose, as I said, was to be a forerunner to the Messiah. So he wants to make sure he's got the Messiah right wants to make sure he knows what he's doing. So he just sends a question to Jesus saying, oh, just want some confirmation. Have I found the right person? Do I keep doing what I'm doing? Should I be happy with all this? But I looked at it a bit more and I thought, it's a ridiculous question. I thought it was probably one of the stupidest questions that anyone could ever ask. I just didn't understand why. And I want to show you why I now think it is a ridiculous question. You don't have to turn there, but in, in Matthew 3, verse 13, we read, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptised by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfil all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We also read in the Gospel of John, that John the Baptist was promised that the person that he baptised, who the Spirit descends on, will be the one that you've been waiting for. So John's standing there, bloke comes along, looks a bit different to the others, thinks, okay, he might be quite special. John the Baptist doesn't want to baptise him, but Jesus says, go on, you've got to baptise me. John says, okay. So John baptises him, Jesus comes up, Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove, impressive, and then the Father speaks audibly for all to hear. So John's standing there and thinking, Okay, I've been promised that the person that comes, I baptise, the Spirit descends on them. Baptise him, the Spirit descends on them. He's the one! He's the one! He's, it's not, it wasn't difficult to see. He was the one. John was standing there. His whole life was to prepare the way for someone else. And finally, he's found the one he's preparing the way for. He's found him. The Spirit is on him. The Father's speaking. It must have been the greatest moment of his life. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to come and do all this amazing work. 
So why on earth, in Matthew chapter 11, does John send his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the one? <laughs> Baby sneezed. Um, why on earth does he say, are you the one? It's funny. It would be funny if it wasn't on such a serious matter. You see, John expected something different. He expected something different. And we read what had happened. Why, why did John go from being convinced to not convinced? Why was he full of doubt? Because in Matthew chapter 11, as I've read before, he was in prison. John's been put in prison. We find out earlier in the gospel he's been put in prison. And we read in another gospel he was really put in prison for speaking against immoral activity of government officials. So, so he's in prison and um, he's sitting there thinking, this isn't what I expected. This certainly isn't what I wanted to happen. This isn't what I planned. And in fact, John the Baptist was in the centre of God's will. He hadn't sinned. He hadn't really done anything wrong that we can see. He was in the centre of God's will, bang in the middle, doing exactly what he should have been doing. But he was in prison. He didn't expect to be there. Have you ever been in a situation or something happened to you that you just don't expect? Or maybe you felt that God's told you something and you've pushed the doors, you've tried to strive after it, and actually it hasn't worked out how you planned it to work out. I remember when I, when I first came to this church, I was joining university and um, I said to God, you know, I really want to see people saved at my, at my, at my university. And he said, okay, <laughs> yeah. I felt he said to me, pray for one person, one friend in this year to be saved. One person. And that year, I, I felt that was from God and I dedicated myself to that. I prayed, I brought people to church, took someone on an alpha, I just did as much as I possibly could. I just thought, God's going to do it. I got to the end of the academic year, all my friends went home from university, and I sat there and I thought, God, you, I just thought you told me that this was going to happen. I was disappointed. Massively disappointed. But a disappointment, I'll finish the rest of the story afterwards, it's got a good outcome. But the disappointment that I felt from that is just marginal compared to how John felt. John's the one that prepares the way. John knew what was going to happen. He's seen, he's baptised Jesus. No one else baptised Jesus. John's the one and now he's in prison. It's not what he expected. It's not what he wanted to happen. I want to ask, what are your expectations as a Christian? What are your expectations? When you gave your life to Jesus, did you expect anything to happen because of that? Did you expect God to ever use you? Did you expect a perfect life, maybe? Some of you might not even believe in Jesus. And I'd ask, what do you expect from a God? That the Bible teaches that God's made man in his image and he loves, he loves his creation. He loves mankind and wants that relationship with him. So if that is the case, what would you expect a loving God to do for his people? In a world where there's so much evil, so much rubbish going on, what would you expect a God to do to help his people out because he loves them? Hopefully we'll see some answers to that later on. But let's have a look at Jesus' response in Matthew 11, verse 4. So John's asked these questions via his disciples, and Jesus answers, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. It's a great response, mainly because, you know, all John's probably waiting for is a yes or a no. And Jesus doesn't do yes and no's, which is great because obviously we've got the Bible and there's so much that Jesus says that he didn't need to say, really. He could have just given a simple yes or no. So thank you, Jesus, for giving us a decent answer so that we can look into it. And in this answer, Jesus is basically plucking out verses from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you've got prophetic insights into what's going to happen in the future. When Jesus is saying, look, the blind are going to be able to see, the lame are going to be able to walk, the, the poor are going to have good news preached to them, 
You find that throughout Scripture, dotted around in the Old Testament. And what Jesus is doing is saying, Look, I'm taking that bit, taking that bit, taking that bit. I'm putting this together. Look, John, this is exactly what my father had planned to do. It's exactly what my father had planned. I'm fulfilling Scripture. John the Baptist would have known what the, what the Old Testament had said. Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. I'm here to do a good work. Yes, I'm the one. Yes, I am the one. I'm going to turn to a section in the Old Testament which really does touch on this. It's Isaiah 61. And many of you would know this, some of this, because Jesus actually stands up in one of the Gospels, picks out a scroll and reads out a few verses from Isaiah 61. And he's basically saying, look, I'm the one that the Spirit is on. I'm the one that God is working through. I'm the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the one that has come that you have been waiting for. And we're reading Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus came to do a mighty work. A mighty work. And this, as Jesus stood up and he said, look, as he read this scroll, he said, look, I'm the one who's come to do this. I'm the one who's going to make things beautiful. Where it wasn't beautiful before, I'm going to make it beautiful. But the most important verse to me, and to us this morning, I feel, is verse 11. I'm going to skip there. It says, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. John expected judgment. Jesus didn't come to judge, he came to save. That's what the Bible teaches. You might think, oh, that's different to what I've heard before. Well, the Bible does teach that Jesus will come again, right at the very end, at the conclusion of all things, and there will be judgment. But when God became man, when Jesus walked this earth, he came to save. John the Baptist was expecting judgment, he was expecting it straight away. Jesus didn't come to bring judgment, he came to save people. When he came to sprout up praise and righteousness from all the nations... It's a good job, really, because we wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for that. Because we're not Jews, we're not from that time, we're from the nations. We're from these other nations. And praise and righteousness is spilling out from all the nations because of what Jesus came to do. He's saying, John, look, this is important. I'm the one that's full of the Holy Spirit. And because I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm doing the will of the Father. And as I'm doing the will of the Father, the Father's will is to pour out his compassion, his mercy and his grace on all that will receive it. Every single person, wherever they're from, whatever they've done, I want to love them. I want to pour out my grace upon them. As Jesus sent those disciples back to John, he left it with a bit of a small rebuke, really. In verse 6, he said, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He says, look, John, this is it. I'm the one. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you prepared the way for. And I've come to do some amazing stuff. I've come to break out into the nations. But don't be offended by me. Don't be offended by what I do. Some people are offended. They're massively offended. You know, John might have thought, well, hang on, how, how has Jesus come to, come to save people from other nations? That's a bit weird. Why include them? He just loves us. As a Christian, do you get offended by the way God does stuff? Maybe you've got your plan. This is how I want it to be. You know, I've given my life to God and I'm going I'm to honour him and glorify him, but I'm going to do it this way. And God says, no, you're going to honour and glorify me, but you're going to do it that way instead. You're going to be walking in a different direction. You're still going to glorify my name. It's just not how you've planned it to be in your head. Does that offend you? 
Have I seen some people that have been saved where you think, why do they deserve to be saved? You pick up a paper, you watch the news, you know, the murderers, the paedophiles, the people that ruin nations, people that rip them apart. Why do they deserve to be saved? That's offensive. Or is it? Because why did you or I deserve to be saved? Why did we deserve God's mercy and God's grace in our life? Coming back to that, me feeling that God wanted one person to be saved in my life. Um, I remember at the end of the academic year, I said to God, well, might as well give up and wait till they come back in September because all my friends have gone home. <laughs> and I, so I just carried on as normal. And a week before that year was up, I saw a friend give their life to Jesus Christ. And it was someone that I didn't really put hours of time in. I didn't really seek the Lord too much. I was just a faithful friend. And um, I went back home that day and I thought, you know, God, you've got a plan. It wasn't, you know, you give me a promise and it wasn't how I would have planned it to be. I would have thought it was this person at uni that I took on the Alpha course and that, that they, they, they were really like open to what I was talking about. But no, God didn't do that. He did it with someone else. God's got a plan and he brings all things to his glory, but he's going to do things a little bit differently to how we sometimes expect. That's what John the Baptist is realising. But what does that mean for us now? I mean, Jesus is a special case, isn't he? He's the son of God. The Bible says I can be like Jesus, but I'm never going to be Jesus. I'm never going to be Jesus Christ. He was the only Son of God, the beloved Son of God. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He only did the things the Father told him to do. Surely I can't do that. Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus came to earth to die. I mean, I know we've got good teaching in his words, and he spoke a lot, and he did other things he ate, and I don't know, did things that every man does. But he came to die. That was his purpose. He was born to die. And as he hung on a cross, as he was crucified, as there's nails through his flesh, as there's a crown of thorns on his head, as there's blood dripping down his brow, as people are mocking him and spitting at him, as people are viewing the destruction that's happening in his body, you might think, that's terrible. You might think, oh, what he's going through is terrible. And it is terrible. But what you can see, the pain you can see with him on that cross is nothing compared to what he was actually experiencing. You see, at that moment on the cross, the wrath and punishment that you and I deserve for our sin was being poured out on God's only Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that as as God's beautiful creation, as mankind was made in, in God's image, and it's really just a beautiful picture that God loves man, that he just wants to know them, just wants a relationship with them. But man decided to go their own way, they fell short of God's glory, and they decided to sin. And in the same way, if someone does something in this world, that is bad or illegal and they could be put in prison for it. We say that justice needs to be done in exactly the same way. God is holy and God is good, so justice needs to be done. Which means when we die, every single person who has lived on this earth deserves to be judged for their sin by God. The punishment, eternal separation. The punishment, no relationship. The punishment, something that I dare not even think of. That's why Jesus died. So God God was pouring his wrath and the punishment we deserved upon Jesus. But Jesus died that day. And when he died, he rose again three days later. And that's where it gets really exciting for us as believers, because he rose again, basically saying, I've conquered death, I've conquered sin. The wrath and punishment that you deserved and that I deserved has been taken away. Jesus said, look, you can come and follow me. He gives a call, come and follow me. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you give your life to Jesus, he takes your life, you're incorporated into his sacrifice. 
so that when you do die and you stand before God and you deserve punishment for what you've done, God looks at you and sees his son and thinks, come and know me. Come and have this relationship with me. Throws his arms around you and you have a bit of a party for eternity. That's the greatest thing of all. And Jesus ascended into heaven. It would be perfect if it ended there. It would be perfect if, if I had to wait 50, 60, 70 years, however long I live, to meet God and have this relationship. What a great thing that would be. But it's even better than perfect. God is so desperate for a relationship with mankind. He can't even wait those few years until eternity keeps on going. He can't even wait for that. He wants it now. Which is why every believer, when they give their life to Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit poured upon them. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you. The same Spirit that descended on Jesus when he was getting baptised. The same Holy Spirit that allowed Jesus to stand up and proclaim, I'm going to preach to the broken hearted. I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. The lame are going to walk. That same Holy Spirit that allowed Jesus to do everything the Father told him to do. That same Holy Spirit is in every single believer of Jesus Christ. It's massive. It's massive because when John the Baptist asked Jesus, you know, are you the one? And Jesus replied, because he's full of the Spirit, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to, I'm going to break into people's lives. I'm going, to, I'm going to take you to the nations. As the church, we are now full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We're going to see the eyes opened. We're going to see the lame walk. We're going to see hearts changed. We're going to see the nations broken out. We're going to see amazing things. We should have great expectations Great expectations for what God is going to do in us. Jesus' death and resurrection has totally blown our minds into what God can do. John the Baptist would never be able to understand what we're going through now. It would just blow every part of his expectations. He couldn't see it, but now we have it. It is glorious. I'm going to turn now to where the passage we're going to end on, really. And it's great because Dave read it out this morning before we started the meeting. It's Ephesians 3 verse 20. Okay, Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. That power at work within us, that's the Holy Spirit. So I've been ranting on for a little bit. But God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. This is where our expectations kick in. I've got so many friends to sort of sit on the sidelines sometimes and think, I can't get involved. You know, I tell my friends about Jesus, but they don't really understand. I'll leave it to the, the popular people that tell their friends about Jesus because they've got more chance of bringing them into the church. Or, I want to see people healed, but I'm not as spiritual as that person over there, so I'm not going to pray for them because it's just not going to happen. And I sit on the sidelines. thing is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're part of the church, then the Spirit is within you. Of course you're going to see it happen. That's ridiculous. You're by saying it's not going to happen, you're basically saying that God can't do it. And that's blasphemy. So, um, don't, don't do it. We need to have expectations. We need to think, okay, we can't necessarily do it, but God can do it because of Jesus Christ's death and the power that was within us through the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you all to stand up for a minute for a tiny illustration? Just to wake you up, really. Um, on the count of three, I'd like you all to jump up and just jump once and land on the floor. Okay, so if you're on one of these stands, be careful. Don't anything happening. Okay, so one, two, three. That's a great noise. Okay, one more time. One, two, three. Okay, you can sit back down. Sit back there. Okay, why did I do that? It was fun. Uh, the main reason I did that is because if we were standing on the edge of a cliff 
And I said, right, on the count of three, let's all jump forward. And you saw this 200-foot gap in front of you, and I would jump, none of you would follow me. And you'd look and you'd think, oh, oh, you know, you're not going to jump because you're not foolish, you're not stupid, you're going to die if you jump. You're happy to jump here because when your feet leave the floor, you know your feet are going to land back where they were originally. You're happy to do it. Problem is, lots of believers, when they're stepping out in God, are acting as if they're jumping off a cliff instead of jumping on ground. It's like, oh, if I go and do this, God might not be with me. I might fall. I might plummet. Something might go wrong. That is absurd. doesn't make sense. The Spirit of God is within you. In fact, I dare to say that when you jumped here, there's more chance of the ground fading away beneath you when you're in the air than God would leave you. Whatever you do, God is with you. He loves you. The Holy Spirit is in your life. I love reading Acts because you just get an insight into what the disciples thought. I mean, they're full of the Holy Spirit and they're wandering around, doing what they do and you never get them just standing and moping around. You never get them just thinking, oh, do oh, you remember Jesus? Which walking around? Jesus cooked us a barbecue. You know what Jesus did? Holy Spirit's never done that. Never given me any food. Jesus fed the 5,000. I don't know, I'll give, I'll, there's nothing. The Holy Spirit just hasn't done that for me. I mean, you don't get them moaning. You don't get them moping around, sitting around thinking, oh, those were the days. Those are the days. They walk around thinking, now are the days. This is better now because the Spirit of God is within every single one of them. We're exactly the same. These are the best days to live in. The best days to live in because the Spirit of God is in us. I'm excited. (laughs) It's awesome. I'm reminded of, um, we've got all these home videos and um, my brother was one for opening presents. I mean, I was one of those that, that if I open a present, I'd open next one, open next one. I mean, I didn't dwell on them. I just wanted to open as many as I could. My brother would just, he'd open it, and he'd just explode with, it's the most exciting thing. So like, a bow and arrow! And he'd run around, want to play the bow and arrow, that kind of stuff. Once my parents got him a set of encyclopedias, yeah? And it was just, encyclopedias! I've always wanted these! I just, I look at it, I just think, that's really weird. I mean, clearly my parents wanted some encyclopedias, give it to him and we can use them. That's what I thought. We need to be like my brother when he opens presents. <laughs> to some degree, not just with presents, but with the Holy Spirit. Wherever you're going, the Holy Spirit's in you. It's the greatest gift of all. The greatest gift of all. I want to just take a little diversion here and then say expecting great things does not mean a perfect life. I don't want to make out that everything's going to go swimmingly for you. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that every T is going to be crossed, every I is going to be dotted. It doesn't say you're going to have a big house, swimming pool, room for a pony. It doesn't say any of that kind of stuff. It doesn't. Ironically, Jesus is the opposite. He says, if you follow me, if you take on my name, you're going to suffer for it. And to be honest, there are churches across the globe that do preach prosperity. They do say, if you follow Jesus, everything will be perfect. I don't know where they get it from, because it's just not in the Bible. Things aren't going to be perfect for us, individually, and maybe as a church. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to bring all things to his glory. I think of Jim Elliot, he's a, a hero of mine, he's dead, he was my age, and he died around my age, and he went to Ecuador as a missionary, and um, he was married, he had one kid, and I think one kid on the way, and him and a group of friends were there, and they were murdered by the people they went to save. He didn't see anyone saved. No one saved in Ecuador at all. And you read it and you just think, what a waste. He was banging the centre of God's plan. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do, and he died. Years and years on, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men and women that have read that, read the book that has been produced by his wife. They've gone out into the nations to unreached people groups and thousands of people have been saved. God brings all things to his glory. All things to his glory. 
If we look at John the Baptist, he's in prison. He's in prison. That's not right, is it? That's not nice. I like to compare it to um, Paul and Silas in Acts. They're in prison. They get beaten, they get tortured, they get stripped. They're in prison, it's about midnight, and they're praising Jesus. they're, They're singing and shouting so loudly that the whole prison are hearing. God does something great, sends a little earthquake, doors open. Jailer thinks, oh no, they're going to escape. going to kill myself because I'm going to get punished anyway. Paul and Silas say, we haven't escaped. Jailer is so overwhelmed by the presence of God. The jailer is saved, his family is saved. There's new birth in Philippi. It's the greatest thing of all. Do we be like John and sit there and think, what's going on? Do we be like Paul and Silas and think, I don't know what's going on, but God brings all things to his glory. It is the most exciting thing of all. I'm not trying to downplay any personal things that are going on in your life. I know things happen and I know we go through hard times. You might be going through hard times financially, in your family, where to live. These happen as a church, we're there for one another. I'm not saying let's just focus on God so much that we don't see the people that are around us. We walk together. We've got arms around one another. We love each other. We provide for one another. The church doesn't go with a few people sprinting ahead and a few lagging behind. We walk together. But as we walk together, amazing things will happen. Sometimes your life might feel that there's like a mist around you and there's nowhere to look. The sun breaks through a mist. You keep your eyes focused on God, he will break through. Lift your eyes to him. Let's expect great things from him. I just want to read a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, the preacher. He's dead now, he was at Westminster Chapel. He said, the apostle comes down to our level and helps us in our unbelief and doubts and hesitations. Sometimes in our prayers we think that we have been somewhat daring and that we have asked for something which is quite impossible. The apostle tells us that we must never harbour such thoughts because God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask. Are you daring in your prayers? Do you ever ask something that thinks, surely God can't even do that? The Bible says he can. Paul says through this letter that God can. We need to expect great things. You want to see people healed? Lay hands on them. Believe in God. Expect great things. You'll see them healed. If you don't, first of all, push in. That's what God wants to do. You want to see people set free? Push in. You want to see nations broken into? Push in. God does amazing things through simple, humble people. We are weak men and women. There is nothing special about any of us. We didn't deserve God's grace. We still don't deserve God's grace. But wonderfully, he uses us. It's a privilege. It is an honour. But boy, does he use us. His plan is to use the church. I've got another quote. I love this book. It's on the Lights No More table. Another reason to go to see Louis at the end. There's a quote that says here. It's from a guy called Douglas Everett. And it says, There are some people who live in a dream world and there are some who face reality. And then there are those who turn one into the other. We're not to be daydreamers because they are liabilities. But we choose to be dreamers of the day who face reality and transform the present so that it conforms to the likeness of our dreams. Let's be dreamers of the day. What do you dream of? What do you believe God can do? Because whatever you believe, God can do it and more. Can I ask you to close your eyes? For the next few seconds, I just want you to think what you want God to do might be in your own life, in your workplace, university, family life, in this nation or others. Just going to take a few seconds to think about that. Okay, cool. You can open your eyes.
When I close my eyes, I see a diverse church. I see an expounding church. I see different races, nationalities. I see people from different backgrounds, the poor, the rich. I see us breaking into communities. I see us hungry for the word of God and thirsty for the spirit of God. I see us sending people out to across the globe and hearing the great news that comes back. I see nations transformed. I see people coming and wanting to be with us just because they know that God is with us. All of you have different dreams, godly dreams, godly things that you think, come on God, will you do that? Don't lose that. Don't lose that because God will do it, he can do it and he will do it in a far better way than you could ever do it. You might think, oh, if, if, you know, if I was going to break into this nation, I'd do it like this, this, this. Well, God will break into this nation, but the way he's going to do it will just blow your mind. Completely blow your mind. There's a song I love to sing, and um, I'm not going to sing it for you, don't worry. Um, but it goes, there's a line that goes, Lord, for all that you are, for all that you've done, I will praise you. Next line, Lord, for all that you are, for all that you'll do, I will praise you. As believers, we're in that sort of transition mode where you never move away from the cross. You never move away from what Jesus Christ has done. He's poured out his grace and mercy upon you. Him on that cross, I never want to forget it. Everything I do is because of him on the cross. And I will praise him for it. But at the same time, I look to the future and I say, God, because of that, through me, you're going to do some amazing things. You're going to do incredible things. And I will praise him for that. Let's praise him for what he's going to do. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Quick application, simple as pie, you walk with God. You just walk with him. You spend time with him, individually and corporately. Spending time with God is not just a Sunday or a Bible study, it's every single day. We don't just pray and read our Bibles and all that kind of stuff because we have to. We do it because God loves us so much that we want to have this relationship with him. That's the gospel. God walks in the Garden of Eden and he called out Adam, go Adam, come and join me, let's go for a walk. Countless times we would have just walked together, chatted, fellowshiped. God said, oh look, I made that tree. And Adam, oh that looks pretty good. You learn from one another. Adam's learning from him. He's spending time with God. He's learning how he does stuff. That's the gospel. Man sinned. God wanted that back. Sent Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Now we have that back. We have that relationship now. That's why we have all this. That's why the Bible is here. Because God wants to know us. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. The reason the Holy Spirit is in you is because he wants you to know the Father. Let's pursue God, individually pursue him for all your worth. Involve him, chat to him. My thing, I haven't got time. I'm sure you walk down the street sometime, talk to him. So just have a laugh. Sometimes I see things and think, oh God, doesn't that look funny? Pigeons, I think they're hilarious. You know, God, don't you think pigeons look funny? You think they're good. Wow, you think they're good. You must think I'm good, because <laughs> pigeons are horrible. You know, just, just chat with God. Involve him in your life, whatever you're doing. Corporately as well. The reason we meet as a church is because we want to give glory to God. That's why we do it. The reason we, we meet to pray every Sunday evening, that hour is core. It's core because we pursue God. We speak to him. He speaks back. It's glorious. We run together. We do great things. We spend time with God. I like to think that God's put a fuse in every single one of us. You know, like the old dynamite things, and you light a spark, and it goes, bang, one of those. And I like to think God's put one of them in every single one of us. Problem is, lots of people come to church expecting to be lit on a Sunday morning because for the rest of the week they're not spending time with God. 
And yes, we need to go out in our individual workplaces and we need to shine for Jesus and we need to be a light for Jesus. And the church on Sunday, we can get rejuvenated, we can get reinvigorated and just run forward because God relights us all over again. But how much greater would it be is if all of us, having spent time with God through the week, dwelling with him, communing with him, and then we come to church on a Sunday with all these lit fuses, massive explosion. Massive explosion. Don't forget, God wants to be with you at all times. That's how we run in what he's got for us. That's how we keep our eyes on the great expectations. God wants to be with you. So, to round up really, I think there's some categories of people here. I believe there are some Christians who are running as fast as they possibly can. I just, I love you guys. I love this church. You, you just, you provoke me to want to run even faster than I do. I want to just say, keep running. Keep running. Run for yourself, because God's got stuff for you. But run for others as well, because I see you guys running, and it makes me want to keep up with you. It really does. Keep going. Keep pursuing God. Keep being with one another. Keep carrying each other forward. I believe there's some people here today, today as well, believers in Jesus Christ, who have taken their eyes off God a bit because they're disappointed. Like John is in prison thinking, I'm disappointed. This isn't what I expected to happen. Well, let's just put our eyes back on God for a chance. Give him, give him what he deserves. Let's run that race. I ask you, I urge you, start all over again. I urge you, give your life to him all over again. I urge you, keep running. Think that God can do great things. Let him blow your mind. Then I believe there's someone here who's not a Christian, and you think, what's this got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. As I explained, Jesus Christ died on that cross, not just for me, I'm not that important, he died for you as well. He died for the whole of mankind. That's what he did. And you can be involved in that. In a few minutes, we're going to be taking the bread and wine. We do it because it's in the Bible. We do love the Bible here. And basically, we take the bread to say, thank you, Jesus, for breaking your body on that cross, for taking away my sin. I'm yours. That's what I say. And I go forward. And I take the wine and I drink a bit And I think, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for me, for taking away my sins. I'm yours. If you want to believe in Jesus Christ today, you want to give your life to him for the first time, if you know you need a saviour, come forward when others do. Take the bread, take the wine. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. You don't have to understand everything. I don't understand everything. But say, I'm yours. So give your life to him. If that is you, I'd love to speak to you at the end of the service or speak to someone who brought you so we can just help you along that decision. In Revelation 21.18, it describes a new city with new walls being built. And this city is described to be pure gold, clear as glass. I'm no rocket scientist, but I know that gold can't be clear. You can't see through gold. But it's going to be pure gold, clear as glass. What does that tell me? It tells me God is going to be do something that my experience says can't be done. It means God is going to do something that my friends will say cannot be done. It means that God is going to blow my mind. He's going to excite me. Day by day by day, wherever I am, with the spirit within me, God is going to excite me. Why? Because he is God. Because he is good. And because he brings all things to his glory. I'm excited that as a church, we're going to see people healed left, right and centre. We're going to see people's lives broken into left, right and centre. And as a church, we're going to run to impact this nation and impact the nations surrounding us until we go across this globe. And we do that for the hope of Jesus Christ. We love him. We are for him. And he is for us. I want to just urge you guys to have confidence. Dare to believe the unbelievable. Run in the unimaginable. Because God is with us and who can be against us.
Cool, we're going to have the band up. I'm just going to close in prayer. Um, and we're going to praise him because he's great. Lord God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are such a good God. I thank you that, Jesus, you died for us on that cross. We are totally set free because of what you've done, and we have not deserved it. What a God you are. What a glorious God you are. Lord, and to live for you is awesome. To have the Holy Spirit within us is amazing. Father, and I pray, will you lift our eyes towards you today? Will you redirect our thinking? Will we look to you and no one else? I pray, blow our minds, Lord. I thank you that you can do greater things than we think or imagine. I pray, blow our minds. Blow our minds what you're going to do through this church, Lord God. I want to see people saved every day. I want to see people completely set free. Bondage is gone. Families reunited. Communities transformed. Lord, you can do it. You alone can do it. Lord, for all that you are, for all that you've done, I will praise you. Lord, for all that you are, for all that you're going to do, I will praise you. Let's praise him today. Let's stand and thank Jesus Christ for who he is and how he has broken into our life.